The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. <coughs> Today is the fourth day of our summer seven-day session. Uh, it's the 8th of January 2020. And we're going to continue to read from and comment on passages from the collected works of Chinul, translated and with an introduction by Robert E. Buswell, Jr. And we're just going to pick up where we left off, reading from a section entitled the sublime essence of the true mind. And uh, we're partway through Chinul's answer to a question. And the question was, we have learned the names of true mind. What is its essence like? Chinul says, the original essence of the true mind transcends cause and effect. <clears throat> It connects past and present. It does not distinguish between ordinary and holy. <clears throat> it is free from all relativity. It pervades all places like the vastness of space. Its sublime essence is settled and calm. It tr transcends all conceptual proliferation. It neither arises nor ceases. It neither exists nor does not exist. It is unmoving and unshakable. It is still and constantly abiding. It is referred to as the old master, the awesome-voiced man on that bank, or oneself prior to the kalpa of utter nothingness. It is uniformly calm and still. It is free of the slightest flow, flaw or obscuration. All the mountains and rivers and the great earth, the grasses, trees and forest groves, all phenomena in creation and all tainted and pure dharmas appear from within it. As the Complete Enlightenment Sutra says, women and men of good family, the supreme Dharma King has a great dharani called complete enlightenment. It issues from the complete purity of true suchness, bodhi, nirvana, and the paramitas, and is taught to the bodhisattvas. Okay, just a few things to, to comment on in this passage. This, um, explanation of the original essence of true mind. At one point he says it is referred to as the old master, the awesome voiced man on that bank. Um, I'm guessing this this one, um, that bank is the other shore, the shore of enlightenment. and. Uh, the awesome voiced man uh, I'm not sure what the what the source of this is but um, it's possibly the Buddha speaking the Dharma 
oneself prior to the kalpa of utter nothingness. Um, a little bit of explanation about the kalpa of utter nothingness. In, in Buddhist cosmology, um, four kalpas are described, uh, and these are go in, in a cyclic fashion. So first there's the, the creation kalpa, that's an eon, an immeasurably long time. And this is the, um, it's the evolutionary period in which the universe is brought into existence. So you could could um, liken this to the Big Bang and the unfolding of the universe from that from that um, incredibly dense, incredibly hot point, producing all that we we um, see before us now. Then there's the abiding kalpa. This is a period of stability. Um, of maturity and relative security in the in the universe. Um, so creation, first creation, then um, abiding, then the destruction kalpa, the period of degeneration and final annihilation. So everything unfolds and expands and comes into existence, and then it, it eventually, after a, a very long time of very, very, very long time, things collapse, implode, degenerate, and um, are wiped out eventually. And then there's a fourth period, the void kalpa, a period of utter nothingness prior to the onset of a new creation kalpa. So, so these four these four phases of um, existence and non-existence. If you if you pull back from them far enough, you could see them being as like like one heartbeat of existence. But in this in this um, passage, he he talks about. Um, oneself prior to the kalpa of utter nothingness. So um, before anything exists, who and what are we? There's a, there's a koan. Uh, what was my face before my parents gave birth to me? So it's a similar kind of thing, except on a grander scale. The, um, he mentions here that of um, everything issuing forth from suchness, bodhi, nirvana, and the paramitas. Um, 
some people may not not know what the parameters are um, sometimes referred to as the six perfections or the supreme virtues um, and they're the, the qualities of a Buddha um, and they they're seen as an essential ingredients of awakening so um, that we are if we're on the Bodhisattva path are called upon to protect uh, to perfect these virtues in order to complete our training and the six are uh, giving um, ethical behavior patience effort concentration and wisdom so we they're 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 non-negotiables you could say they're they're um, a required part of the of the development of um, a bodhisattva in the direction of Buddhahood Wei Feng said, The mind, it is spacious, empty, sublime, and exquisite. It is clear, brilliant, luminous, and bright. It neither comes nor goes, for it permeates the three time periods, past, present, and future. It is neither within nor without, for it pervades the ten directions. The ten directions which we chant every day um, is uh, north, south, east, west, the points, the compass points in between, and the zenith and the nadir, making up ten. So everywhere, it's just a way of saying, a more concrete way of saying everywhere, less abstract. As it does not arise nor cease, how could it be harmed by the four mountains? Um, the four mountains um, is a way of talking about um, four, you could say, um, wrong views we have about ourselves. And uh, they come from the, the Diamond Sutra. Um, wrong views of uh, imagining us ourselves to be a self a being a soul or a person so fixed things um, and it's a repeated refrain in the diamond sutra um, pointing up these these four ways in which we misinterpret experience to to solidify ourselves so it says as it is um, as it does not arise or cease, how could it be harmed by the four mountains? How could it be harmed by these wrong views we have about ourselves? As it is not bound by nature and characteristics, how could it be blinded by the five sense objects? The five sense objects, sights, sounds, sensations, smells, tastes, 
again these are these are uh, things that we experience which uh, mislead us into thinking that there is a somebody who's doing the experiencing and then out of that become comes attachment when it's something pleasant and aversion when something unpleasant but this uh, the sublime essence of true mind Kuei Feng is saying here um, is, is not blinded by these sense objects therefore Jung Meng's secret on mind only says as for this mind it assembles all wonders and all mysteries it is the king of the myriads of dharmas it is the mother of the thousands of saints it alone is revered it alone is honored it is incomparable unmatched and certainly the fountainhead of the great path it is the essential element of the true dharma this mind of ours nothing exists outside of it every experience under the sun is this mind functioning if we have faith in this i.e. in this mind we should realize that all the bodhisattvas of the three time periods are studying the same thing this mind all the Buddhas of the three time periods have had the same realization the realization of this mind the teachings elucidated in the Tripitaka it's the um, all of the the Buddhist scriptures the sutras the shastras and the precepts all the teachings um, the, the teachings elucidated in the Tripitaka all elucidate this mind the delusions of all sentient beings are delusions in regard to the mind the awakening of all cultivators is the awakening to this mind the transmission of all the Zen ancestors is the transmission of this mind the search in which all the patchwork monks of this world are engaged in is the search for this mind if we penetrate to this mind everything is just the way it should be and every material object is fully illuminated but if we are deluded in regard to this mind every place is inverted and all thoughts are mad every place is inverted and all thoughts are mad we don't have to look very far to, to uh, appreciate that this is so How often in 
in our world, the low, the, the base, is elevated and worshipped even. Fame, aggression, bullying, excessive wealth, falsehoods of all kinds. And at the same time, what is precious is very often reviled, or at least neglected. Living beings, children, animals, elders, indigenous people and all their knowledge about living on this earth. The list could go on and on and on. If we are deluded in regard to this mind, every place is inverted and all thoughts are mad. This essence is not only the Buddha nature with which all sentient beings are innately endowed, but also the basic source of creation of all worlds. When the world-honored one was momentarily silent at Vulture Peak, when Subhuti forgot all wor worlds below the cliff, when Bodhidharma sat in a small cell in war contemplation, when Vimalakirti kept silent in Vaisali, all displayed the mind's sublime essence. Therefore, when we first enter the courtyard of the ancestors' sect, that's the, the Zen sect, we must understand the essence of this mind. Just um, expand a bit on these uh, various people that Janor mentions. The first one, the world on when the world honored one was momentarily silent at Vulture Peak. Um, Vulture Peak is, is a mountain near um, the city of uh, Rajagraha. Um, and it's where it's the site where many of the um, sutras, the Mahayana sutras, were delivered. And according to Zen legend, um, this is where uh, the Buddha um, held up the flower for his audience to do, and which at which uh, Mahakashapa smiled. So it was a silent teaching. Buswell describes it um, that his holding up the flower was expressing thereby the wisdom innate in the enlightened mind, which is beyond the ability of words to describe. It's rather a, a dry way of talking about it. How much more expressive um, simply holding up a flower. Next one mentions Subhuti, um, forgot all words below the cliff. 
and this is um, uh, Subuti is a character who appears in a lot of the Prajnaparamita texts again Mahayana Sutras later ones um, Subuti was a disciple of the Buddha and he was renowned uh, for dwelling alone in the forest foremost in dwelling alone in the forest and um, because of this he he um, this he was um, particularly associated with the teachers teachings of emptiness because um, living alone in the forest sort of symbolized this this um, view this outlook and one time when he had been discussing the Dharma he concluded with the words I have never said one one word and then remained sitting in silence and then the next the next person mentioned is, is Bodhidharma and uh, most people here will know that um, it's considered the the uh, founder of the Zen school came from India and um, is said to have sat at Shaolin after his arrival in China sitting facing a wall um, for nine years and then um, the last one is Vimalakirti who kept silent at Vaisali um, this relates to a story from the Vilamakirti Sutra uh, Vilamakirti was a great layman deeply enlightened and um, he was um, ill at home in, in Vaisali and um, a whole host of bodhisattvas and um, Shravakas and others went to offer their condolences to him led by Manjushri um, and Manjushri asks um, a bunch of the people there to um, say something to comment on non-dual teachings and um, every goes around and everybody um, gives their view and then the last one is uh, Villamakirti and he pl he replies by sitting in silence so this is a f uh, very famous silence known as a thundering silence next section is, is entitled the sublime functioning of the true mind question we have now learned about the sublime essence of the true mind but what is meant by its sublime functioning Chinul. the ancients said the wind moves but the mind shakes the tree clouds build up but the nature raises the dust. If you are clear about the affairs of today, then you are dark to the original human. 
This poem alludes to the function which arises from the sublime essence. The sublime essence of the true mind is originally unmoving. It is peaceful and calm, true and eternal. The sublime function manifests from this true eternal essence. It is unobstructed, unobstructed as it follows the flow and reaches the marvel. Therefore, an ancestor's verse says, The mind whirls between the mirrors of objects. In its whirling, its real power lies dormant. If one follows that flow and recognizes the nature, there is no joy and also no sorrow. I think with this last line we could also say, equally say, there is joy and there is also sorrow. You know, the fundamental fundamental teaching of of Buddhism is that uh, there the, the nature of conditioned existence is is suffering to to have a body and a mind um, brings with it suffering but and this is this these lines are uh, attributed to Manohita 22nd Indian ancestors whose name we chant in our uh, ancestral line and in the, in the pool of radiance um, he says that if one follows that flow and recognizes the nature then there is no joy and also no sorrow so if one completely becomes one with um, you could say the, the, the flow the ups and downs the impermanence of things, then there is also a way in which joy becomes no joy and sorrow becomes no sorrow. At all times and in all activities, whether travelling eastward or westward, whether eating rice or donning clothes, whether lifting a spoon or handling chopsticks, whether looking left or glancing right, these are all manifestations of the sublime function of the true mind. Ordinary people are deluded. When donning clothes, they only recognize that they are donning clothes. When eating, they only understand that they are eating. In all their activities, they are deceived by appearances. Hence, they use the sublime function of the mind every day, but do not realize it. It is right before their eyes, but they are not aware of it. On the other hand, a person who is conscious of the nature has no further misunderstandings in any of his or her actions. As an ancestor said, in the womb it is called a fetus. On being born it is called a human being. In the eye, it is vision. In the ears, it is hearing. In the nose, it is smelling. In the mouth, it is talking. In the hands, it is grasping. In the feet, it is running. When expanded, it contains all of the Dhammadhatu. 
When contracted, it exists within one minute particle of dust. Those who are aware of it know that it is the Buddha nature. Those who are not call it soul or spirit. And I think what he means here when he mentions soul or spirit is names for something that is in, in some sense separate from things. Another name for it is Mu. Chinul continues, Master Da Wu's dancing with his tablet, Master Shi Kung's aiming a bow, Master Mi Mo's holding a pair of tweezers, Master Zhu Ti's raising a finger, Master Xin Zhou's striking the ground, Master Yun Yen's toy lion, all were disdain, displaying the great functioning of the mind. If we are not deluded to its functioning each and every day, we will naturally be free from obstructions everywhere. And just um, unpack these stories a little bit. So the first one, um, Da Wu, this, this, um, this is um, Dogo, it's Japanese name is Dogo, and appears in some of the koans. Um, when he was asked about the Dharma, he would simply take up his tablet and dance. This is not his Samsung tablet. But if he was here today, maybe it would be. And, and in fact, this tablet is a kind of um, uh, emblem of office, a little bit like my my kyosaku that I have, uh, my kotsu that I have here, when I give teisho. So he, when he was asked about the dance, he would just pick up this tablet, and and dance. The next one, uh, Kong. Um he was, he was a, um, a student of, of Master Matsu Baso, and um, he had um, been a, a hunter before he um, found the Dharma. And so when people asked him about the Dharma, he would draw his bow and aim the arrow straight at the questioner. I bet that got their attention. <laughs> the next one is, is um, Master Mimo. I don't know anything about him, but um, uh, he was also in the Matsu lineage. And um, apparently it's a bit of a, I 
discussion among scholars about what he was actually holding, but when asked about the Dharma, it involved holding something like a pair of tweezers. The next one is um, Master um, Drew T's Raising a Finger. In this one, some people will be familiar with it. Um, his name is um, Gute in Japanese, and um, there's a story of his his um, just going like this when people asked him about the Dharma. Next one, the next master would strike the ground when people came and asked him about the Dharma. Master Yun Yin had a toy lion, and when people asked him about the Dharma, he would tease them with it. He would go up, presumably, and shake it in their face, tickle them. General says, all were displaying the great functioning of the mind. The next section is headed, similarities and differences between the true mind's essence and function. Question. We are not yet clear about the essence and function of the true mind. Are they the same or different? Chinul. From the standpoint of their characteristic signs, they are not the same. From the standpoint of their natures, they are not different. Thus, the essence and its function are neither the same nor different. How can we know this to be the case? I shall attempt to explain. The sublime essence is unmoving. It is free of all relativity and separate from all signs. If we do not have the tallying realization gained by penetrating to the nature, we cannot fathom this principle. The sublime function accords with conditions and responds to all kinds of events. It masquerades and mocks signs and seems to possess shape and appearance. As the function has signs and the essence does not, they are not the same. Nevertheless, as the function is produced from the essence, the function is not separate from the essence. As the essence can give rise to the function, the essence is not separate from the function. Hence, Considered from the standpoint of their mutual inseparability, they are not different. Take water, for example. Its essence is moisture. For this is the factor which is unalterable. But its waves are by, characterized by their alterability, for they build up because of the wind. Since the nature of water is unalterable, 
and the appearance of waves is alterable, they are not the same. Nevertheless, from the waves there is no from apart from the waves there is no water, and apart from water there are no waves. Since their nature, moisture, is the same, they are not different. If you correlate the similarities and differences between the essence and function with this analogy, you should be able to understand. This is a, a quite a, a popular analogy. Not sure where it originated, but it is still used today um, as a way of um, uh, making more clear to us the the relationship between um, form and no form. Like Thich Nhat Hanh, for example, uses it. The true mind amid delusion. Question. If everyone is endowed with the essence and function of true mind, how is it that saints and ordinary people are not the same? Chino. The true mind is originally the same in the saint and the ordinary person, or we say the deeply enlightened person and the ordinary person. But because the ordinary person endorses the reality of material things with the false mind, he or she loses their pure nature and becomes estranged from it. Therefore the true mind cannot appear. It's like a tree's shadow in darkness or a spring flowing underground. It exists, but is not, it is not perceived. And, and if it's not perceived, it isn't um, at our disposal, so to speak. It, we can't use it, we can't function out of it in our lives if we are not aware of its existence. As a sutra says, men and women of good family Take as analogy a pure mani gem which glows with the five colors according to the direction in which it shines. Um, mani gem um, is, is a, it's another metaphor for true nature, but it essentially just means a jewel. Take as analogy a pure mani gem which glows with the five colors according to the direction in which it, it shines. Now the, the five colors mentioned here are uh, an al allusion to the five skandhas. And um, just worth um, going into these skandhas a little bit because they... Um, They're seen as the the, the, um, the kind of constituents of our, of existence. They're what we um, they're what we misinterpret as um, a self. Five skandhas. Uh, uh, skanda means heap or or aggregation. So we can understand these five skandhas of which we're made up as being like 
five different piles of stuff um, and they're constantly changing. Um, an image that could be helpful to think of them is, is like um, sand dunes. So they're, they're constantly shifting and changing shape. They're not entirely separate from each other. Bits of um, grains of sand get blown from one to the other. They change in volume, shape, um, and ultimately they disperse. And they are the four. The there are there's um, five, four which are the mental realm, one the physical realm. So form, sensation, perception, volition, and consciousness. So form um, encompasses our the physical realm, our bodies, and things we experience around us. And um, traditionally, um, the form. One is made up of the four elements, earth, air, fire and water. Or we could understand these today as being um, solid, liquid, um, heat or um, energy and movement. Gaseous realm seeing as, as, as um, one of flow, movement, vibration. And just to take a quick look at these, the four um, skandhas <coughs> of the of the mental realm, and um, it really helps. I found I struggled with trying to 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 get my head around these um, until I realised that they um, they overlap. They're not completely. They're not. Um, they can't be completely separated from each other. So the so the first is sensation. That's what we um, what occurs when we come into contact with stuff, and we always experience sensations as being either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Then there's perception, awareness of that with which we have interacted. So this includes such functions as recognition, uh, discrimination, judgment, sort of how we, how we process the, the initial sensation, sensation that we feel. And then volition. This one is, is, has to do with um, our decisions, our intentions, um, how we how we respond to what we we've perceived, so it includes here three different ways, and we can respond through thinking or speaking or acting. And then the last one, consciousness, which is um, in the Buddhist scheme, is is more than what we would usually define as consciousness in. Um, uh, Western systems, it, it's a combination of um, the, the three earlier skandhas, sensation, perception and volition, and perhaps these would be things that ordinary Western philosophy might consider to be consciousness. Um, it includes cognition, 
but also how we define ourselves as a self. So um, you could say the better way to, to describe it is ego consciousness. So it's, it's the I, it includes the I that creates meaning. And so this one is also uh, kind of where, where karma is, is the repository for, for um, uh, karmic imprints. Somebody described it as being a self-perpetuating mechanism that, 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 that wants to continue to exist. And the Buddhist teaching it said that all of the, all five are necessary for um, an inter interaction to happen. And if if, if um, not all five are present, then things kind of fall to pieces. Um, one uh, helpful description of these five skandhas, these five heaps of stuff. Um, comes from the Tibetan tradition is um, as the perishing collection that's what we are we're, we're each of us we're a perishing collection we identify with this perishing collection and call it a self So back now to um, this um, analogy of the of the jewel. Take as analogy a pure mani gem which glows with the five colours according to the direction in which it shines. Fools think this mani gem really has five colours. Men and women of good family. It is exactly the same with the pure nature of complete enlightenment. It manifests in body and mind and adapts differently according to the object. Yet fools say the self-nature of that pure complete enlightenment actually possesses those different bodies and minds. Could we, how could we possess something we, that um, we can't control? We have no control over its, its dispersal. In Sung Chao's treatises, it is written, Between heaven and earth and within the universe is contained a jewel. It is concealed in the mountain of form. Um, this jewel also is sometimes uh, referred to as a white pearl. Dogen mentions. It also appears in one of the koans in um, the Luftklick record number 62 Ummon's one treasure it's, this, it's the same slightly different wording but it's the same that we just mentioned from Sung Jao Ummon said to the assembled monks between heaven and earth through space and time there is one treasure hidden in the mountain of form Pick up a lamp and go into the Buddha Hall. Take the temple gate and place it on the lamp. 
and you, when you work on this koan, your job is to, um, to see into what Unmon is saying here. Sounds pretty um, weird. Pick up a lamp and go into the border hall, take the temple gate and place it on the lamp. These temple gates were huge, three arched um, structures with very high, which people would walk under to enter into the temple. How can you place that on the lamp? There's a, there's a verse that goes with this case um, from Secho, commenting on it. He says, look, look, who holds the fishing pole on the ancient shore? Clouds roll on, the water is boundless. You must see for yourself the reed flowers in the moonlight. Really, it all boils down to the first line of this poem. Look, look. You must see for yourself the reed flowers in the moonlight. Reed flowers are white. Moonlight is white. A reflection goes on between flower and moon. Not separate. We have to see this for ourselves. Or as the Zen saying goes, the picture of a cake doesn't satisfy hunger. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.